welcome back to Autism, A New Perspective, the podcast show where we help you understand what is going on in the mind of your child. And we always encourage you that growth for your child is possible. I'm Kathleen, and in this week's podcast, we have a special guest, Betty Atkins, an RDI consultant and also a teacher who spent years in the field in RDI as a teacher and helping teachers in schools understand how to implement RDI principles in the classroom. Let's listen in. Well, I'm so happy to be visiting with Betty Atkins, who is one of my favorite people, uh, both as a person, but also as a professional. Betty, uh, I would love to tell everybody about all the wonderful things you've done, but I'm going to let you talk about your background and Specifically in our topic, we'll be talking about high school and RDI. I know you have so much experience. Well, thank you, um, Kat. It's nice to to join you today. Um, I have been an educator my entire adult life, Um, worked with um, students with um, autism spectrum disorder beginning in 1992 but realized that I had um, some kids who were undiagnosed way back in the late, late seventies, you know, looking back, they were not diagnosed with autism, but that's, that's who they were. So um, always worked with kids with special needs um, and, and loved, loved that population. So um, I became an RDI consultant in um, 2000 and seven no 2009 (laughs) it's been a while while ago um but I've had a very small practice because I worked for a very large public school system and my goal was to bring RDI into that school system um, as a way to um, support parents um and that that's how that started and then it evolved into a teacher training initiative um, for the last couple of years that I was still employed with the system. So um, that was quite interesting. So I've worked with kids from um, infant and toddler age all the way up through high school age. So kind of across the board. You know, I think as consultants, so many of us have families say, how can I get RDI principles into school, period? Uh, But I have an awful lot of parents of high school students who think it would just be so wonderful to just somehow get those principles to teachers to help them uh, guide and interact with their students. Uh, What are the, I mean, I'm sure you and I could talk hours about the kind of things we're going to talk about today, but what are some of the obstacles that you've seen? And I also want to talk on the positive because I know that you have had success with helping teachers uh, who, who want so much to help our children. Right. And and teachers do want to help. Um, They really do want to help. And many of them are just absolutely overwhelmed, particularly now. I mean, it's after the pandemic, it's been really difficult for um, for teachers. Um, One thing that I think that that when I've had families working with the schools is to to think about from the family side of things, really knowing what's important. And a lot of times our families go into those meetings 
and they're they're so focused on the things that the school is doing wrong that end up with these horribly adversarial meetings. Well, you're not going to get these teachers on your side that way. You know, you you have to start off with really thinking what is a reasonable expectation for the school to do, right? And even slowly talking about wanting, you know, that your goal is for the kids to be more dynamic thinkers and how do you how do you do that in a classroom? Just little pieces about how you as a parent guide the child rather than telling them what to do. How do you use that indirect influence first to allow the child time to think? Little pieces like that help the teacher understand that they, that you're not expecting them to make sure the child does everything right. You know, that, that you're allowing that child to make a mistake and to guide them. How do you, how do you, in the years that you've done this, how, how do you introduce these little big goals that we have? Are there any that you focus on to help teachers? We focus a lot on communication, moving away from um, that imperative communication into using declarative language, um, allowing the child processing time. Um, that in and of itself takes care of a lot. It, it really, particularly if the teachers already have in place the type of scaffolds that you that you see most of our kids need, like they need those visual supports in a classroom. They need the structure. They need those things that make a teacher a good teacher to start off with, right? Um, But once those things are in place, little small tweaks around um, changing your language style when you're working with the child, allowing them that extra processing time, those little things go a long way towards helping a child be more successful and to be able to think more. If I go to an IEP meeting with a with a family or, or from when I was still on the school system side of things, talking to the, the teachers about modifying the amount of homework, say, a child has, because the real work of RDI, of course, is done in the home with the family. And if they're spending all of their time doing homework for school, there's not a lot of time left for guiding. So little little tweaks like that, modifying the IEP for the child that says, you know, that there's, there's a different amount of homework, which is something that can be done. And many parents don't understand that part of the IEP process. I think that's amazing information for us. Uh, how much do you feel like teachers benefit from understanding our whole one step ahead model and understanding when a child is being over challenged? You know, when doing teacher training, that's one thing that most teachers understand very, very well. Uh, most teachers have a good background in child development they're required to. So they understand that. You you bring up Vygotsky's zone of proximal development and all the heads start nodding and you, uh, oh, okay. So you do understand this. So how can you um, 
back this up so that the child has an active role in in the learning process. That those things, a lot of times the teachers just haven't taken the time to think that through. You know. Yeah, and that's so interesting because then you can have the students have, uh, you know, either they won't do the work or they don't want to do, but it's because we've gotten too far ahead of their, where they feel confident. But it, it makes so, so much sense that when you kind of break it down developmentally for the teachers, of course, it speaks to them. Well, right. And as the the last year I was in the classroom, I was teaching eighth grade English um, to students who were reading on a second or third grade level, um, some of them lower than that. And some of my colleagues were amazed that I could get to the meat of the curriculum by really making major um, adaptations in the in what I presented and how I presented it. My kids were supposed to do a TED Talk. You know, these are kids who were minimally verbal, many of them. Their TED Talks were amazing. They were, you know, they were three to five minutes long, nothing, nothing as long as a regular TED Talk, but they had the, something they were passionate about. They were able to talk about it. And it was that really backing off of the curriculum at the grade level and backing back to where developmentally, where are they? And as teenagers, these guys, at all of my students should have been in high school already, and they were all not. But they had passions that they wanted to talk about. They had um, they they had things that they wanted to share their thoughts on. So having them do this format of a TED Talk, they could do it if you broke it down enough for them. And that's what RDI is all about, is breaking all these steps down to where they can have an active role, right? Nobody's telling them exactly what to do. They understand that these are their thoughts. And and they loved doing this. You know, they, they went and interviewed the principal about the school rules and things like that. And so they having them be active participants at their level was really very important for them. Well, one of the things I love about you is how passionate you are. <laughs> uh, and I think I'm sure teachers who have been with you have felt that from you as well. I know that we have parents and educators who listen to our podcast. What would you say to parents? I, I, how can they introduce RDI into their schools? Just the what would be the strong points to bring up when they're in those meetings? Is I think it's pieces of helping the parent understand you understand when your child is is not regulated and dysregulated and understanding that um, that when they're not regulated they're not able to learn um, we we know that and help the the teachers to understand and say, you know, my goal is for him to be regulated in, in school. And these are some things that 
help him at home so that when I'm challenging him in a skill that's a little more difficult, right at his edge of competence, I want to make sure he's regulated. So what are some things he might need to do before he does a math test or before he, you know, has to present to the class if he's doing something like that? What are some steps to take so that they have a good understanding of the ways to help this child stay regulated throughout the day. And, uh, and I think we're dealing with a, so many precious individual students. We have a high school just at the corner here from where I live. That is a big place, Betty. <laughs> that looks like a, one of our community colleges at this point. I mean, it's just huge with a huge parking lot that's full every single morning uh, with student drivers and buses. So when, you know, when I think about the number of students that high school teachers are seeing um, on a daily basis, uh, and that's why I wanted to visit with you, because I think giving them those tools to helping them help the children, which is why they're there, is so important. And so uh, I, I think I'd like to kind of think about if we have an educator watching, what could we tell them about RDI that would really uh, cause them to want to think further about using some of those principles? Well, Kat, one of the things that we've done often, um, I'll, I'll, I'll point teachers and, and often parents too, to the declarative language handbook and the co-regulation handbook that um, I've drawn a complete blank um, Linda Murphy. Linda Murphy, who is so wonderful, you know, and, and so those are all based on R RDI principles, right? So, so having um, teachers read those, that has been very helpful. Um, in our last teacher training that um, Sarah Wayland and I did, um, it got interrupted by COVID and um, we still had six weeks to go. So we actually did a book study and studied the declarative language handbook. And it was quite interesting to see the educators change um, as time went on through that, just that book study. So you you can often get a buy-in from educators that way. Um, looking at some of the... Um, on the RDI site, the community part that is available for people who are not working with consultants, that has been helpful to some families uh, and to some educators. Um, so I might guide them that way um, as well. And as an educator yourself, who you just have worn so many hats and you still are wearing so many hats, um, what would you say RDI brought to you as an educator? So when I first started studying RDI, I went, well, I went to one of uh, Dr. Gutstein's, one of the two days back in, I think it was in Jacksonville, Florida. And I remember coming back and thinking, this is the missing piece. This is what I've been missing. This is why I'm not connecting with my students the way I want to. This this is what I need to know. And it took me two years to convince my husband that I needed to do this. 
<laughs> but I, I I started the RDI training and my whole the whole time my goal was to bring it into the schools. And I remember having discussions with with uh, Dr. Sheely and Dr. Gutstein about it and just feeling very frustrated with that. Um, I worked, I, I was in the process at, at that point, I was um, a specialist in the school system I worked in and I was designing programs and designing classrooms. I ended up incorporating everything I learned into my teaching of teachers. And it just, I could, you could see the, 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 the way the teachers interacting with the kids changed. You know, you have to slow down. You have to build that relationship. Just like the we have often have parents just sitting with their kids with no demand and no expectation, right? In order to build that bond and that relationship, that um, that whole piece of co-regulation. If you can get teachers to take some time, and I found it usually is the special educators that can do it, the speech and language pathologist that can do it, the occupational therapist, those special professionals that are not running a classroom full-time are the ones that can bring those pieces in. You know, as even having a speech therapist who was trying to talk about um, memory and talking about having a family send pictures of things they did that weekend so that the speech pathologist could use declarative language to talk about episodic memory and build those things. They're open to that. The teachers are open to that. The speech and language pathologists often have never thought about doing something a little bit outside of the box that way, you know, and, and they appreciate having parents who actually know a little bit and can help guide them because most of them don't know how to work with our students. They know ABA. They know um, that um, how to teach that static, those static skills, but they don't know how to teach the dynamic thinking. They, they, many of them think that our kids can't learn it, which is what's so sad to me. And they and they all know that dynamic thinking is so key. Like it's key to one's best life, right? Right. So it's not a matter of not knowing that it is, but understanding that every one of those, every human being has that potential. Right. And if you give up on focusing on it, then of course the child's never going to learn it. You know, and and that whole building of independence and building the the skills to be independent and those those abilities to think you know a little bit differently you know and and our kids do learn from their experiences and they learn to think and thank you for joining us for autism a new perspective the podcast show where we help you understand what is going on in the mind of your child and we always encourage you that growth for your child is possible. I'm Kat Lee. See you next time.